Thank you for listening to the Crossroads Sermons podcast. If you would like more information about our church, please visit www.crossroadstw.org. Good morning, church. If you are a guest, uh, I want to welcome you to Crossroads Church. We're excited to have you. Uh, And if there's one thing I want you to know about Crossroads, uh, it's that it's all about Jesus. Everything that we aim to do uh, is either to introduce Jesus or to help our people walk more closely with Jesus. And so, uh, as you heard in the announcements, we've got our Good Friday 5K because we want to leverage something that is important to the community running uh, in order to tell people about Jesus. We also want to help some of us get in shape, so that too. But we want to tell people about Jesus. Uh, but as we come to one of the most significant weeks uh, for us as Christians, Easter week, uh, as we journey through the cross, because we know our faith doesn't end at the cross, right? We, we worship a risen Savior because what, what makes our faith real is that Jesus didn't just die on the cross. And yes, he had to go to the to the cross, to pay the penalty for our sin, uh, but the victory comes in that he got up out of the grave, overcoming sin and death. Uh, and so we've got our Easter devos this week. We've got one that released this morning. They're on our website, and we want you to journey with us. Uh, I'm going to steal what Pastor Rocky told the first hour. You're going to get out of next Sunday as much as you put into it this week, and so we want to help you walk with Jesus. We're, we're outlining some of the significant things that took place in Jesus's life uh, in the week between Palm Sunday and Easter. Uh, but today, we're going to be back in uh, Ephesians, uh, and as If you've been with us, there's two main themes of Ephesians, love and unity. Unity and love. These are the two things that come throughout, right? Love and unity. Unity, oneness of purpose, and love. Love, quite simply, is you before me. You can't have unity without love, And you can't love unless you're unified. And one of the beautiful things about the book of Ephesians is it has this clear distinction between doctrine, what we believe, and duty, how we behave. And everybody is a theologian, right? We often think that the theologians are the pastors, but everybody's a theologian. Uh, But not everybody's a good theologian. You see... What makes a good theologian isn't how many systematic theology books you've read. It's not how much scripture you've memorized. It's how you behave. If you, if the way you behave isn't impacted by what you believe, you don't believe it. If the way you treat other peoples isn't different because of what Jesus has done in your life, you may not believe in the Jesus of the Bible. Belief, uh, Ephesians 1 through 3, right? What we believe, who we are, our identity, who God says we are, impacts the way we behave. Uh, It's all about relationships. We weren't created to live in isolation. We were created for one another, It's about relationships. Pastor Marcus told us a couple weeks ago, God uses marriage and relationships to form us for a greater purpose. So love and unity. 
right? We've talked about these themes as it deals with uh, the church, as it deals with marriage, as it deals with family. Uh, And today we're going to talk about work. And I know some of y'all just stop and you're like, whoa, 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 pastor. I, I was with you as you were talking about unity and love in the church. I was with you as you were talking about unity and love in my marriage. I was with you as you talked about unity and love as it comes to my parenting. But unity and love at work? Do you know where I work? Sometimes yes, oftentimes no, right? Do you know about how my coworker acts? Do you know what my boss does on the weekend? Do you know some of the things my company is talking about? You want us to be unified and loving? All I am is a cog in the machine of this giant corporation. All my boss cares about is the bottom line. But yes, unity and love in work. Because the Bible says a lot about work. It's God-ordained. It the Bible actually shares some very practical advice on how we work and why we work. And I know that work can be a place of great sorrow and pain. Some of y'all have dealt with some very difficult situations. But it can also be a source of great joy and triumph. Now, as Christians, we should find joy and purpose in our work but we should never find our identity in our work. Uh, It's estimated that we'll spend approximately one third of our lives working. And so we wanna do this well. We actually spend more of our waking hours at work than we do at home. So the Bible says a lot about work and how to work in a way that brings glory and honor to God. And our big idea today is that our work should reflect our worship and reveal our witness, right? Reflect our worship, what we believe, and it should reveal our witness. It should open up doors for us to talk about it. So what do love and unity have to do with work? Everything. You see, because as Christians, there should be a distinct difference between the way we go about our work versus the way everybody else does. There should be something that sets us apart. You see, unity and love in our vertical relationship with our Heavenly Father ought to flow out into our relationships with others, including that coworker that gets on your nerves, including that boss that is antagonistic to your faith. And so our big idea is that our work should reflect our worship and reveal our witness. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 5, and we're going to go through verse 9. Paul's going to start out, and he's going to say, bond servants, obey your earthly masters. Now, some of your texts there say slaves. The Greek word here is doulos, and it means servant. It refers to somebody who is bound to serve another master. Uh, In a Roman context, this would have been somebody under a contract for about seven years who at the end of their time serving 
uh, as a bondservant would be released, given their freedom, their wages, and released as a free person. It's been estimated that there were as many as 60 million bondservants in the Roman Empire. It was a very common thing, and and in large cities such as Ephesus, it's estimated that about one-third the population either had been or was bondservants. Now, this became a problem uh, because people start coming to Christ, they start serving together, they start going to church together, and you had this dynamic that started to develop where you had the bondservant teaching the master. Right? You had the one who was under authority and didn't have power outside the church was now teaching the master inside the church. And it created this problem and this tension because sometimes the bondservant didn't want to obey and sometimes the master didn't think they had to listen. The best picture we have here is the, for us is employees and employers, right? Bond servants are the employees. You didn't have uh, all this hierarchy uh, and middle management and things like that. You didn't have an upper class, a middle class, and a lower class. You just had those who were in charge and those who weren't in charge. In fact, you could sell yourselves to pay off an end of bond servant to pay off a debt or something, which is why you would then be released. So employees, the bond servants, and the employers, and it created this dynamic uh, that w- w- a lot of tension was created. So, so Paul is addressing that dynamic. And he says, Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with goodwill as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or free. He says, masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing he is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. You see, he says, bond servants, obey your master, earthly masters. But then in verse 9, he's going to say, masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening. So he's going to deal with both. Now, why does he, why does he give more verses to, to the employee than the employer? I, I couldn't find a, a, a text that, or a commentary that explained that, but I think it's this. You don't apply for a job with the job being boss, right? So you you come in as an employee and hopefully you get to rise to where maybe you have people under your supervision. But he says, bond servants, obey your earthly masters. Masters, do the same. In other words, these distinctions that you have created outside the church no longer exist. It's not a matter of superiority and inferiority. It's that at the foot of the cross, we're all equal. You're not better than. You're not less than. We're all equal. We all have equal value and worth. And so that's what Paul's trying to get them to explain. And so bondservants obey and masters do the same. 
Now, I'll be honest, as I was prepping, I was struggling to figure out how do I make this applicable? How do I make this practical, right? Because I know many of you think that as pastors, all we do is read our Bibles and pray every day. And you're like, Josh, you don't know what my, my, my work life is like. You don't know how hard it is, right? June's coming up, uh, and, and there's a lifestyle being celebrated that I don't agree with. There's people there that don't share my values. Some of them are even rude and mean. I have a boss that's kind, always looking for the quickest way to do something. And you're right. I don't know every dynamic of your, of your workplace, but I do wake up every morning and go to a job. I have to be there on time. I do have expectations. I have bosses I have to come under. And so while we can't deal with every single situation and circumstance, and while I don't know everything that you're dealing with, and we can't get to those today, and this is one of the reasons I want to encourage you to be in a life group. Because we may not be able to solve whatever problem you're dealing with in, at work, but we can pray for you, we can encourage you, we can share wisdom. We can help you navigate that. That's part of why we gather together in those small groups. It's so we can deal with some of those specifics we can't deal with in here. And so as I was struggling to figure out, how do I make this applicable? How do I make this something that's going to connect with you guys? First, I prayed. Uh, then I talked to the preaching team. We worked through some things, talked about some things. Uh, but then I did what any good millennial is going to do. And I crowdsourced it. And so I reached out to a handful of men and women in the church and just said, hey, this, these are the three questions I asked. What's something you wish pastors understood about working in a business environment? Uh, that there's people that don't share our values. There's people that are antagonistic to our faith. Uh, that there is pressure to climb the corporate ladder. Right? There's a lot of things there. But then I asked, what are two or three challenges that you have faced? And they mentioned a lot of those same things. Uh, wanting to, to find that right work-life balance. Uh, want, wanting, wanting to do a good job. Wanting to honor their boss when their boss doesn't seem to like them. Right? The, the, the pressure uh, of the office politics. People play favorites. So I can do a good job and my boss can still like somebody else better. But then I asked, what are way, two or three ways you've seen God use you in the workplace? Or what are two or three joys you've seen from the workplace? Uh, and they had some really good feedback, and we'll sprinkle that throughout the rest of the message. But the responses were phenomenal. And I was just encouraged by the wisdom uh, and the perspective that everybody shared. And just to see how God was using the men and women of Crossroads uh, to make a difference for their com community. To make a difference in their businesses, in their, their places of work. And so as we're talking about work, here's our big idea. Our work should reflect our worship, and it should reveal our witness. Now, work. It's God-designed. If we looked back at Genesis chapter 1, we see God at work. Uh, one of the unique characteristics about the one true God that separated the, the one true God from the false gods, especially in a Roman culture was that the God of the Bible works. You see, in a Roman culture, the people work because the gods do not. But the God of the Bible works. He creates, he builds. As God works, 
He is speaking to us and he is revealing to us his nature and character. He is telling us who he is and why he is worthy of our worship. And God works for the sheer enjoyment of work. In in Genesis, we see that God worked for a few different reasons. In Genesis 1, God works to create, right? We know that God created the heavens and the earth. He created the sky and the sea. He created the land. He created the plants and the animals. And lastly, he created you and I in his image and likeness. And so God works to create. But in Genesis 2, that we see that God works to care. He forms man. He forms plants and animals. He waters it. He fashions a wife for Adam. So he works to create. He works to care. And he works to commission. In Genesis 1, 28, he says to fill the earth and subdue it. To exercise dominion. To cultivate. To build. And so work is good. It's a good thing to work. It's a stewardship over all the world that God created. If we were to look at Genesis 2, 15, God tells Adam to work and keep it, talking about the land. And so it's a good thing. Uh, Pastor and author Tim Keller, in his book, Every Good Endeavor, he states that work is a much of a basic human need as food, beauty, rest, friendship, prayer, and sexuality. It's food for our soul. It's so foundational to our makeup that it's one of the few things we can take in significant doses without harm. But if we were to look at Genesis chapter 3, verses 17 through 19, it tells us why work is hard. And to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground before, because of you. In pain, you shall eat it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles, it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread. Till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. You see... The fall and sin are what corrupt work and make it hard. It's the reason sometimes you struggle to get along with your coworkers. It's the reason your boss antagonizes you. It's the reason work is hard and things don't always just click and happen as you want them to. You see, the fall ruined everything. It corrupts literally everything, including our work. But it also leads us to view work wrongly in two different ways. It leads us to view work as a curse, that it's just toil, that it's drudgery, that there's no value or purpose in it, right? It leads us to think we're just working for the weekend or working to provide for our family. It leads us to believe there's no purpose behind it. Or the second thing is it leads us to believe that work is an idol, that it becomes this obsession, that it looks, it's the place we look to to form our identity, our security, our status, right? I mean, if you ask people, what's the first thing you ask when you're getting to know somebody? Well, what do you do, right? What's your name and what do you do? 
Those aren't necessarily bad things, but what happens is we look to our work for status. We look to it for self-expression. This is, I just want to be me. We look to it for purpose or for provision and power, right? That we can control those under us. It's what gets us out of a proper work-life balance that screws up our priorities, right? Our priorities are supposed to be God, our families, and then work. But we'll flip those and we'll justify it by saying, I'm trying to provide. And so God created work to be a good thing. God works. God creates good things. And he created us to work, to exercise dominion. When we work properly, we show God that we love him by loving our neighbor and we manifest his glory in our work. You see, work is a calling. I know sometimes we celebrate the call to ministry of pastors and that's a good thing to celebrate. But we make work seem like it's just work. But work is biblical, it's good. Work is a calling. That, that word vocation, it means to call. Right? And so work is a calling that we have been placed there by God for a greater purpose, whether it's cleaning carpets or running a multinational corporation or somewhere in between. Our jobs are our calling. What makes it a calling? That someone calls you to do it and that you do it for something greater than yourself. And as followers of Jesus, we know that we work for something greater than ourselves. And so maybe you're saying, I don't know why I'm in my job. I don't know what I'm doing here. I don't like it. I want you to know that God has called you and he's placed you where you are with a purpose greater than for you to just make money or do a task, more than just to be a cog in the machine. He placed us there so that he could do a work both in us and through us to glorify and advance his kingdom. You see, work is one of the main places where we discover who we are, what our gifts and talents and abilities are. Now, I can't sing. I didn't need work to tell me that, but I can't sing. You won't see me up here leading worship. I'd clear out this room. But as you do things at work, you discover the things you're good at, the things you like to do. Uh, in Ephesians chapter 2, we discuss being God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. And one of the ways those, the things that God has created us to do is through work. As we do them, we learn what we're good at. And God has created us and gifted us with gifts and talents to be used for his glory, not our own. So he says, bond servants, obey your masters. Masters, do the same and stop being harsh with your, your, your bond servants. He's talking about work and the relationship between you and your boss or you and your employees. And he does this with a clear understanding of the gospel because the gospel transforms all of our relationships including those where there seems to be a clear hierarchy. You see, at the foot of the cross, we're all equal. 
Everybody has equal value and work, even in our places of business, because they were created and placed there by God. Our value and worth isn't determined by what we do, but by who created us. And so Paul had laid out this principle in Philippians chapter 5, verse 21. And he says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. It's a mutual submission because it's a mutual love and understanding. And so what Paul is really saying is it's a matter of attitude, of action, and authority. Our work should reflect our worship. So what does this have to do with our attitude and our action? Look at verses five through seven. He says, to obey with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart. Now, I want to be honest with you. Obey. When I hear that word, there's something in me that I immediately want to push back against it. Now, I like to be obeyed, right? I expect my kids to listen to me. I expect them to do what I'm asking them to do. But I may, not even have an, I may not even have an issue with what I'm being asked to do, but sometimes there's just something in me where I don't, I don't want to obey. I'm probably not the only one. Your silence speaks volumes. <laughs> but he says to obey, and what, that word obey, it means to listen and to come under authority. At the end of the day, we're all under authority. We'll unpack that in just a second. But with fear and trembling, Right? It's a right understanding, a recognition of whose authority we are under with a sincere heart. Right? It's not just that we do the work, but that we do it with the right motives, the right attitude. We should have a good attitude. It's not just drudgery. And he says, from the heart. Rendering service with a good will. Now, if you notice, when Paul talks in these verses, he talks about our attitude and our actions, not anyone else's. Right? He doesn't make it conditional. He doesn't say, if your boss does this, if your employees do that. He goes straight to the heart and he deals with us. It's not conditional. I know so often we like to think that we're the exception to the rule. Josh, you don't know how bad my boss is. You don't know what that coworker's done. Therefore, I don't, right? And we're always looking to be the exception, and God doesn't make the exceptions that we're looking for. How we go about our work, it doesn't talk about our bosses or our employees. But it talks about us, and he's saying, as Christians, our attitudes and our actions ought to reflect what we believe. And so we should strive to do our work with both energy, we should be excited and passionate about it, and excellence. We should be excited because we understand that our work, no matter what it is, it has purpose and value, and it contributes to the larger picture of what God is doing. You see, the way we go about our work is an act of worship. It reveals what we believe. 
It reveals where we are placing our trust. And so we should do it with excellence or with energy and excellence. Now, I didn't say perfection. Perfection is a standard we can't attain. Excellence is doing the most you have with the most you, with what you're given. I'll give you an example from math. If you were to ask me to do a quadratic equation, F plus might be the best I can do. But that doesn't mean that I can't take the time and study and prepare and try to do it right. I just don't understand it. And so we want to do our work with excellence and energy. But then he's going to talk about authority. Look at verses 6 through 8. As bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God as to the Lord, from the Lord. You see, we talked earlier about calling. And that our vocation is a calling that God has called us and gifted us and wired us for our assignment. And that he's also placed us there. You're not in your job by accident. God didn't make a mistake just because your work is hard. God placed us there for a greater purpose than just to make money. And so God called you, but he also called your boss and your boss's boss and your boss's boss's boss. And he also called your employees that work under you. You see, God sovereignly places people where he wants to execute greater purposes. Romans 13 tells us that God raises up leaders and he sets them down. If you're in a place of authority in your business, make sure God's not going to set you down because you're doing things that are unethical. But God raises them up and he sets people down and he raises a new one up and sets them down because he's doing something great. And that includes both believers and unbelievers. This weekend in my time alone with the Lord, uh, I came across something that I had never seen before. It never jumped out on the page. Uh, in Judges 14, God causes Samson to fall in love with a Philistine woman. And it says that Samson, Samson has his eye on her. He tells his parents, and his parents are like, no, 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 she's not one of us. And the Bible says but, that God was doing this, that he might do a work against the Philistines. That's how God works. He uses both believers and unbelievers to accomplish his purposes, including making somebody like Samson fall in love with the Philistine. And so God may put you under a boss that doesn't share your values. Sometimes he puts you with employees that don't reflect your values and maybe they ostracize you. What do you do when your boss doesn't share your values. And this is just a general, some general principles. Like I said earlier, a lot of these things are a matter of wisdom and we need wise counsel. We need people to help coach us, to walk with us through it. And that's one of the reasons we have the church and we have our life groups. If it's not illegal, immoral, or unethical, we should be able to obey. And we obey with a sincere heart because we know that God is at work and not us. Uh, verse 8 tells us that whatever we do, God will reward. And so God often puts us in places that are uncomfortable or that may not seem fair or just. He may give us a boss that's hard or employees that we don't get along with. 
because he's doing something greater than what we could understand. And the way we go about our work, the way we treat others, may open the door for us to talk about Jesus. If you're struggling to say, okay, well, how do I connect with that? I want to remind you of the story of Joseph, right? Sold into slavery, raised up in Potiphar's house, falsely accused, goes to prison, gets in under Pharaoh, got, Pharaoh raises him up, he's number two in all the land. And at each point when Joseph's going through the ups and downs of life, what does it say? And God was with Joseph, right? And then there's Genesis 50 verse 20. What you meant for evil, God meant for good. Or maybe you can identify with the story of Esther, right? Egypt's been in exile again because they had this habit of not listening to God. But God raises up Esther to come alongside the king to eventually speak truth to the king in power. But it was because Esther was faithful and she, she was consistent in how she went about her business. Or maybe it's Daniel. Uh, once again, exile in Babylon. Daniel's in a place of authority over 120 satraps. People keep trying to get him to stumble and fall or to worship a false god. And Daniel stayed true to who he was and what he believed. And God gave him favor with the king. Because our work reflects our worship and it reveals our witness. Uh, one of our core values here at Crossroads uh, is that we want to live on mission. In other words, we don't want a sacred, secular divide. We don't want you acting one way here in the church on Sundays and then going out and acting completely different just because you got to get the job done on Monday. We don't want you to put a Bible on your desk so that people will see it and then curse and be rude to people and chew them out Monday through Friday because that's what the boss asks you to do. You see, there should be something distinct about how we go about our work that should open up doors for us to eventually talk about why we're different. Amen. So often we want, to, we want to lead with the gospel, but we act in so ways that are so contrary to the gospel, and we wonder why our friends and coworkers are turned off. You see... We believe that God has sovereignly placed us where we live, work, and play to make a difference for his kingdom, that we're instruments in his hands in accomplishing those purposes, that God's doing something bigger. And so we want to reveal our witness. And so I want to be kind of practical here. What are some things that we can do to live on mission, to, to reveal our witness? One of those is to... Seek the good of the company. In Jeremiah 29, right? We love Jeremiah 29, 11. Uh, but in Jeremiah 29, Israel's in, in exile, which if you think your boss is bad or your work is difficult, try living in exile. But he tells them, seek the good of the city for in it, for in its success, you will find your success. Right? That's contrary to how we think, right? Well, they don't believe what I believe. They don't, think what I, they, they don't think what I think. They don't value the things that I believe. And so I'm just gonna work. I'm just gonna do my job, keep my head down. And yes, we wanna, we wanna work hard, keep your head down. 
But work for the good of the company. Work for the success of the company. Be a person of grace and truth. Right? Let me explain it to you this way. One of the, one of the guys that I talked to talked about how doors had opened because he led with grace, right? Because he was, he was human and he just talked to the guy. There, was a, there were two, actually two different people. One struggled with same-sex attraction. The other tr- struggled with gender, gender identity issues. He had the opportunity to walk with them, to sit down, open up the Bible, and talk about what he believed about those two things. Why? Because he led with grace. He led, and then he brought truth. But he did it in a way that didn't demean the person. Don't be surprised when an unbelieving coworker doesn't share your values. Don't demean them. Lost people are going to act lost. Be okay with it. If we know who we are, then the way everybody around us acts should minimize the influence on us when it's things contrary to what we believe. And so we want to be a person of truth and grace, grace and truth. We want the company to succeed. One of the ways that God cares for his creation is, between the work, is by the work that we do. It's the work we do, right? He, that's how he cares. That's, that's how he provides. That's how he sustains is through our work. And so we want to work for the good of our company because God has sovereignly placed us there. If you're in a boss or in a hiring position, hire the person that's the best fit for the job even if they're an unbeliever, as long as they're willing to do the job at the agreed upon price and do it with integrity because you want the company to succeed. If you're an employee, do your work with excellence. Several of these guys talked about the value of excellent work, right? And we said excellence is a matter of output. It's a matter of effort. Do your work with effort. You'd be surprised at what, the, what, what a witness Good work done on time is for you, right? In a world where people are just kind of, oh, I got it done or I'll get it done, do it on time, do it with a good attitude and do good work. It reflects God's nature and character. And you'd be surprised at the door, the doors that open. Uh, another thing, let your ref- work reflect your trust in Jesus. Uh, uh, another great witness tool is be consistent. Let what you say you believe affect how you deal with people, right? When everybody's losing their mind because you had a bad quarter and you're consistent, you'd be surprised that people start looking at why is that guy different, right? Why did he not throw a chair through the wall, right? Several of these guys talked about the way they treated people, the doors that opened, Right? If you're calm and poised in the midst of turnover or even in the midst of success, you don't let it be a reason to lose your mind. Lead with the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. How many of y'all would like to work for a boss that exhibited those characteristics? Why? Because those are the, that's the gospel in action, right? 
The fruit of the Spirit, it's one tree, many fruit, and that's what com- the fruit is what comes out of you often when you're put under pressure. So if you lead with the fruit of the Spirit, it's going to be radically different than most of the people, that, than what your people have mostly ever experienced. And there's going to be something attractive about it. Uh, another thing, be generous. Be generous with your time. One of the things those, several of those guys talked about uh, is how basically leaving their door open to talk to people, right? It's led for opportunities for them to counsel, right? And here's the thing. If you know the Bible, if you know what you believe, then when those opportunities come for you to talk about those things, you, this is what's going to come out. Right? Why, do we, why do we want you spending time reading God's word, applying it to your life, getting to know it, letting it become, get into your heart? Because that's what we want to come out when people ask you questions. We've been practicing the three circles. It's an evangelism tool. It's just a tool to help us understand how to explain the gospel to our friends, neighbors, and coworkers, those in our sphere of influence. We've been working through that. Right? And it talks about God's design. And the beauty of it, this is why I like this tool so much. The beauty of it is God has a design for everything. He has a design for the family. He has a design for creation. Uh, he has a design for work. He has a design for joy. He has a design for hope. Right? So we can talk, but we know that sin and brokenness, right? Brokenness is the effect of sin on society. And so why do people struggle with all those things? It's because of sin. But we know that if we've put our faith and trust in Jesus, that we're then recovering and pursuing God's design for different things. And so we can talk about God's design for those things, including our work, if we're generous with our time. Another way to be generous is you're with your money and resources. One of the guys I reached out to, uh, he runs his own business. And he talked about the opportunity to care for and provide for his employees, how it opened doors for that, uh, how he treats them. Uh, Be generous with opportunities. You want to know another good witnessing tool? Look out for others in your workplace. If you're a boss and somebody makes a mistake, own it for them. Don't let, don't let them off, but own it. Admit where you made the, were part of the mistake if you're the boss. Give people opportunities that maybe they wouldn't get under somebody else. Look for opportunities to help people flourish, right? Create an environment that allows people to flourish. Embody grace, truth, hope, and love. Express your relationship with God in the way you speak, work, and lead. Why? Because our worship, our work should reflect our worship and reveal our witness, should open up doors to the gospel. Several of the guys talked about, uh, one of the things they talked about is how our coworkers are men and women made in God's image, and they're searching for significance, for hope, for purpose, for love. As you work correctly, it'll open up doors for you to pray with coworkers, for you to offer wise counsel. Uh, There's one guy in our church, who's a business owner. And he felt led by God to start a Bible study. 
Maybe God's calling some of you to do that. Uh, a couple of the guys that I texted talked about opportunities to do Bible studies provided encouragement for them at work. Maybe you need to be doing that. Not in place of work, but maybe that door's opening. Right? Our work should reflect our worship and reveal our witness. Why? Because the gospel, because the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, it frees us from the rat race. If you're worried about that promotion, we said earlier, God's completely in control of that. If he wants you in that place, he'll raise you up. If he doesn't, he's got it for somebody else and he's trying to do some, a work in you and them. So it frees us from the rat race. It frees us from, from having to perform for everything. So we no longer have to crawl over our coworkers to try to get to the top because you're not in control of that anyway. It frees us to stand firm. We, we no longer have to worry about what everybody else thinks. We're not working for their approval. We're doing good work because it reflects the image and nature and character of God. That's the gospel. Because the gospel reminds us that God cares about our work and that it changes our relationship with work. And it allows us to reorient our priorities so that we can work hard, but we don't have to be enslaved to our jobs. Because our work should reflect our worship and reveal our witness. And as we finish out the service, I know work is complicated. It's stressful. But God's doing something greater than we could ever ask or imagine. One of the stories... Uh, that was shared with me. It was one of the guys came, came to faith in Christ later in life. And it was beautiful because uh, before he came to Christ, uh, I think the church term is rabble rouser, right? He was helping lead the chicanery at work. Wasn't doing anything illegal, but he was doing that. And then all of a sudden, God moves, saves his wife, saves him, and there's a distinct difference in the things he used to partake in, he no longer partook in. And one of his coworkers, it was interesting because his business partners, one was an atheist, one was a Jew, and one was Catholic. There's a joke in there somewhere. <laughs> but they saw the difference and they said, okay, you can't, you can't evangelize at work. And he said, well, I'm not, and I do want to say this, your first priority at work is actually not to evangelize. It's to work hard and do a good job. And if those doors open, take advantage of the opportunity. And so he said, okay, I'm not gonna, I won't initiate. And this is what I've heard from a lot of business people. I won't initiate, but guess what? If somebody asks you, you can't help and you don't get to shy away from it. And so the way you go about your work should reflect your worship and reveal your witness. But this, guy, this particular guy, Several of them, they said, we don't like it, right? Because now he's, he's becoming the moral compass of the company. But one, one of those guys that was not a believer, and to this day they still may not be, he said, man, I can see the difference in you and it's real. Don't you want that to be what people say about you? I can see the difference and it's real. And guess what started to happen? That door is opened 
and people would come in and he would be able to provide counsel to people, speak wisdom, speak life into them. And so maybe you're here today uh, and we're gonna have some of our pastors come up here. But maybe you're here today and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Here's what I want you to know is that your sin has separated you from a holy God, but that God sent his son Jesus down from heaven to die on a cross in your place for the forgiveness of your sin. And so maybe the reason you're having trouble at work is because you're trying to do it out of your own strength and God's saying, hey, surrender this to me because, and surrender your life to me. And if that's you, I wanna invite you to come forward. We wanna talk to you about what it means to put your faith and trust in Jesus. Because Jesus didn't just die on the cross for your sin. He overcame sin and death. He gave us victory and he gave us hope and purpose. And he's allowed us to redeem and pursue our work. And so I'm gonna ask some of our pastors to come down here. We wanna pray for you. If you wanna put your faith and trust in Jesus, we want you to do that. Maybe you're dealing with something really hard at work and you could use some prayer. Uh, We want you to feel free to come forward so that we can pray for you. So let me pray for us. Father, we love you and we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you have given us purpose in our work, that we work for something greater. And Lord, I just pray for the men and women of Crossroads Church, that we would live on mission, that we would live knowing that you have placed us there to make a difference for your kingdom. And we say all this in Jesus' name, amen.